Well, hey, this is Luke. It is good to have you with us this morning. And this is kind of a weird thing. I'm obviously talking to you here by video. And the reason is that the last couple weeks, we thought a baby would come. Uh, my wife was due on September 21st. That was a Wednesday. And we actually intentionally scheduled other people to preach the Sunday before and the Sunday after, thinking if the baby comes, uh, no one will have to scramble. And the baby has still, as of this moment, not yet come. So hopefully by the time you watch this, uh, we will have a baby and there will be some pictures that hopefully you will have already seen. Um, but I had been preparing this sermon and uh, studying this passage. And so rather than making someone else scramble, I figured I would just go ahead and teach it to you uh, through this wonderful gift of technology. So that's what we're going to do uh, today. And I'm really glad that you're here with us. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and this Sermon on the Mount is this manifesto of Jesus. It's the place where he describes his kingdom turned right side up. It began with this description of the blessed life at the beginning of chapter 5, and the idea that that blessed life isn't just for us personally, but it's supposed to go out into the world. At the end of chapter 5, uh, we saw that uh, Jesus is explaining what the family dynamics are in his kingdom, that uh, we're to be a family that's filled with love, even for our enemies, filled with purity, filled with faithfulness, that that's really a good description of his family. And then we looked at this past Sunday at Matthew 6 in the first part, uh, where Jesus confronted our hypocrisy. Now it's interesting because in uh, Matthew 6, what we have here is a description of closeness with our Heavenly Father. It's a description of what it is to have a a close, uh, intimate, dependent relationship with God. Now in chapter six, what Jesus is doing is he's describing, he's really confronting two conditions that threaten our closeness with God. First one was hypocrisy, that's what we looked at last week. And the second one is anxiety. That's what we're looking at this week. In fact, in the passage you read just a moment ago, three times you read, do not be anxious. Look at verse 25. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Do not be anxious is what Jesus is talking about in this particular section. Now, here's something that's important to realize as you study this, is the Sermon on the Mount is not just random deep thoughts from Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount has an intentional flow. It's got a logical flow. And it's fascinating because in chapter six, what you see is that the cause of hypocrisy, the first part of the chapter, and the cause of anxiety, what we're looking at today, they're the same cause. Both are caused by a focus on ourselves instead of a focus on God. We focus on ourselves, so we try to impress others. We focus on ourselves, and so we're anxious about all kinds of things. And that's what Jesus is gonna confront today. Now, we live in an anxious age. Books, poems, articles, all kinds of things have been written calling our age the age of anxiety. And this age of anxiety is It's destroying us. Now, there's lots of silly reasons why we feel anxious, right? So here's a a picture of something that if this were in my house, this would absolutely make me anxious. Look at the intersection of the walls in that picture. I mean, that is absolutely set to drive you crazy. I would have to move. I definitely couldn't fix that. Uh, I would have to move out of that house if I were going to be able to (laughs) stand and stay sane there. Uh, Another picture. Look at this grouping of M&Ms. This is... uh, 
this will drive you crazy. If this doesn't drive you crazy, God bless you. I want more of whatever you have. Uh, that's wonderful. And then this last picture, look at this. This is like the ultimate dilemma. This dilemma, right? You fill up the gas tank and it's perfectly 10 gallons, but it's at 39.99. Oh my gosh, what do you do? Do you go up just a little bit more? Ah, all these little silly things that could make us feel anxious. But there's lots of serious things too. There's lots of serious, weighty things. We feel the weight of life. We're stressed by our family dynamics and by our educational needs and by work and by commutes and by health and by all the different things in our life. We feel weighty. We're busy. We got a lot on our plates. We're stressed. Some of us are even stressed about being stressed. Uh, I found this article, that, uh, this study that University of Wisconsin did, where they took groups of people, they said they were all equally stressed, but one group of the people, again, all of them were under a similar amount of stress, one group actually was stressed about their stress. They were worried that all the stress they were under was going to provide, uh, create health problems for them, and sure enough, what they found was that uh, in both groups where the stress was equal, they were both stressed, the group that was stressed about stress, in fact, did have more health problems than those who weren't. Now, I need to say this at the beginning, is there's the kind of anxiety that many of us deal with just on a daily basis as we try to bear up under the weight and expectation and demands of a busy, stressful, anxious age. That said, there's also times when anxiety happens and it's got a more physical or a more medical cause. I'm talking about anxiety attacks or panic attacks or these moments where it doesn't even feel like you're worried about anything and all of a sudden your adrenaline rushes and you're anxious and you don't know why. And uh, I, I want to just make that distinction because I realize some of you are in that first category and some of you are in the second. Now here's what we believe. We believe that God created us as whole persons and that sin has corrupted us as whole persons. And because sin impacts everything, it impacts the physical and the spiritual and the emotional, it impacts it all. And so there's at times different solutions and different things that contribute to helping us become healthy and whole. What I'm going to focus on here today is the relational dynamic between us and our Heavenly Father, the spiritual element that comes into play that if we don't trust the Lord, we're going to feel anxious. And yet that said... For those of you especially that are suffering with some of the physical challenges of anxiety attacks and those sorts of things, I, I don't want you to get the impression that if you, if you just did this just a little bit better, that it would all be fixed. There aren't quick fixes to these things. They take time. And what I don't want, I don't want those of you in that category, I don't want you to feel this message as a piling on, as a kicking you while you're down, as a saying, well, you should just stop being anxious, as if anyone could really even do that. Instead, I hope that, if anything, you hear the comfort of Jesus. I think this is a very comforting passage. I think the way Jesus intends to help us here is, is not mostly to confront us, but to come alongside and to say, I'm with you and I'm for you and experience that sort of comfort. So that's where we're gonna try to head here this morning. Now, before we dive into the text, I just wanna imagine for a moment what it would be like if we could be people who lived right side up in this area of life, 
What if we could be people who rather than feeling all of the stress and worrying and running ourselves ragged actually had a resolute, solid, firm, relaxed trust in our Heavenly Father? What a gift that would be to the people around us. What kind of questions that would raise for people who go, where do you get that kind of peace? Where do you get that kind of steadfastness? Where do you get that kind of hope and an opportunity to testify about God's work in our lives? I also think what a gift it would be to our kids. Josh Watt, who's our student pastor, he and I talk a lot about how a lot of kids and a lot of junior high, high school kids, they're like little ducks. You watch them on the surface of the water and everything looks peaceful, but underneath their legs are just churning like crazy and everything looks good, but they're worn out, they're stressed out. In fact, one of the most popular songs of this last year by 21 Pilots is called Stressed Out. I'm not gonna sing it for you, maybe you know this song, but this is a young man writing. He says, wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. He says, we used to play pretend, give each other different names. We would build a rocket ship and then we'd fly it far away. Used to dream of outer space, but now they're laughing at our face saying, wake up, you need to make money. That's a young man. That's an early 20-something man writing that song saying, I long for the good old days. (laughs) How many of us think, man, you're in the good old days. And yet even at that young age, he's stressed out. He's beaten up. And the anxiety, actually the first thing that Jesus talks about that gives us anxiety is wake up, you need to make money. So here's what we're gonna do as we look at this text today. Uh, First, we're gonna look at verses 19 to 24. Uh, There we're gonna see that anxiety comes when we mix up our master. Verses 19 to 24, anxiety comes when we mix up our master. Then we're gonna look at verses 25 to 34 and see that anxiety comes when we forget our father. And if we can get our master straightened out and understand that. And if we can remember our father and his care for us and remember that our master is our father, there's some hope for us in the midst of anxiety. So first, anxiety comes when we mix up our master. Jesus says this, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and... Now, what do you expect it to say there? Now, maybe you're a person that's, you've read the Bible, you've heard this before. You go, oh, I know this passage. But imagine you hadn't, and all you heard was, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and, you might think Satan, you might think the devil, you might think a sinful world. And Jesus says, serve God and money. Our stress, our anxiety, our worry comes when we mix up our master. Uh, One anonymous person, uh, they always have the best quotes, by the way, don't they? The anonymous people. Um, Anonymous said this, most stress is caused by three things, family, money, or family with no money. (laughs) And I think that's absolutely true. And so money is this big uh, inducer of stress. And yet Jesus says, why are you getting so stressed out about this? 
It, it, it can't last. Just like last week when uh, we looked at the idea that w- we seek the approval of people and, and Josh made the point, well, that's temporary, right? You're, you're forfeiting your eternal uh, pleasure from God, your eternal reward from God for the temporary applause of a few people. Well, Jesus says the same thing here. He says, don't, don't worry about money because it's just here today and gone tomorrow. Focus on what matters more. Notice he says that in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, you focus on this, of course you're going to be worried. If you live for money, of course you're going to be anxious because at any moment you could lose it. Now, Randy Alcorn is a wonderful author. He's written a book called The Treasure Principle, and uh, I would absolutely recommend you look that up. I'd also tell you, if you uh, have an account on Right Now Media, that's like the spiritual, the Netflix for spiritual growth that we offer free accounts to anyone who's part of our church. There's a brand new four-part study by Randy Alcorn on The Treasure Principle, and it's all based off of this particular verse. And here's something he says there. He says, while Jesus is telling them not or he says, why is Jesus telling them not to store up treasures on earth? Because they're not going to last. It's not simply that it's the wrong thing to do. It's the stupid thing to do. It's stupid, Jesus says. Why would you give yourself fully? Why would you serve something that is just going to fall apart? Alcorn goes on to describe how if our treasures are in heaven, then as we live and approach death, we're actually getting closer to our treasures. Whereas if our treasures are on earth, as we live and approach death, we're getting further away from our treasures. Anxiety comes when we mix up our master. Now what's interesting that Jesus also says here is that money is like a window into the soul. That's really what he's getting at. Look at verses 22 and 23. Uh, He uses this parable that's kind of odd for us, but it would have made sense to the hearers. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What Jesus is saying here is that our eyes are like a window. uh, What we focus on, what we think about, will fill our lives with either light or darkness. And in this particular case, Jesus is saying, hey, if you're focused on money, if you're focused on wealth, if you're focused on material goods, you're focused on the wrong thing. So if money is the window into our soul, then what does the way we operate related to money reveal? What does it tell us? There's a message I did some months back in our Fighting Fear series. You can go online and listen to that. And the message was the Money Fear Index. And in that message, I talked about what we call the crazy cycle. It's the idea that, that we're very worried that we don't have enough. And uh, because we're worried, we go and we spend more than we make. We, we want to make sure we have all the things that we can give that we're worried about. We want our kids to have healthy, comfortable, good lives. We, so we spend more money than we actually have. That puts us in debt. Uh, where we now owe money that we don't have to people that we don't want to have to pay back. And then we don't have any margin because we have all this debt. And then we're worried because we don't have this margin because we have all this debt because we spent more money than we made because we were worried. And it just goes round and round and round. Jesus says, if that's your life, if that's your situation, you're focused on the wrong master. Jesus says, listen, if you're caught up in that crazy cycle, The primary issue 
isn't money. In terms of, it's not about your behavior. It's not about, well, you gotta just get on a budget. I mean, those things will help. But Jesus is saying, the, the, the crazy American cycle that a lot of us are caught up in, what it reveals is more about our master than our money. Saying your main issue isn't you have bad spending habits. Your main issue is that money has become your master. You're looking for peace. You're looking for relief. You're looking for comfort in something that can be destroyed by moth or rust or thieves. Sinclair Ferguson says that wrong priorities breed anxious hearts. Anxiety comes when we mix up our master. And Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So who do you serve? I mean, who do you serve? Who gets your best focus and time and energy? It's interesting here. Jesus says you're going to worship. You're going to serve. The question isn't whether you'll worship or serve something. The question is who and what and where will it lead? And this is an invitation from a loving heavenly father who says, come, trust me. I'll take care of you. You don't need to be worried. You don't need to serve a God that's no God. You don't need to invest your life in things that won't last. Come to me, trust me, I'll be with you. That really leads us to the next section where we see that anxiety comes when we forget our father. Anxiety comes when we forget our father. Again, three times Jesus says, do not be anxious, verse 25, verse 31, verse 34. Do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. I don't know about you, but I mean, that's easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> do not be anxious, right? It's a little bit like if I said to you right now, hey, whatever you do, do not think of a pink elephant with yellow polka dots. I mean, you just can't, uh, okay, now I'm doing it. And uh, I had a moment a couple weeks ago where I woke up uh, kind of middle of the night, 2.30, 3 o'clock, and I was worried. There was something coming up that next day and I wasn't sure how exactly it was gonna go and I was stressed about it and anxious about it and worried about it. And the more I thought about how stressed and anxious and worried I was, the more stressed and anxious and worried I got. And I tried to pray and I tried to you know, get up and read Sports Illustrated and get my mind off something else. And it just, it just stayed there. It's not easy to just say, okay, I'm just not gonna be anxious. But Jesus repeats himself three times because this is a big deal. He says, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. I hope you know, Jesus doesn't repeat himself just because he forgot what he said. He repeats himself because he knows that we need it. So let's reflect for a moment. Why is worry, why is anxiety, why is it such a big deal? Why does Jesus need to focus on this so much? Why does Jesus need to emphasize this and repeat himself so much? Well, there's three things about worry that I think Jesus is trying to attack here and bring perspective to and eventually lead us to reject these wrong ways of thinking and to trust him. The first thing that, that shows us this is such a big deal is that worry assumes something. Worry assumes that I care more than God. 
That's one of the reasons that worry is such a big deal is because it assumes I care more than God. It assumes God has forgotten me. God hasn't thought about me. God doesn't know how to take care of me. I've got this big thing. I've got these important decisions. I've got these little important kids, their safety, their security, their education, their future. I care more than God. So I got to worry about it. it. It's a sense that I don't think God's thinking about it. I don't think God is caring about it. That's what worry really is. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have a father who cares. In fact, it's fascinating to look at the prescription that Jesus gives. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, stop it. Stop being worried. Stop being anxious. He says, no, here's a prescription. Here's something you could do. Here's what he says. Look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus says, hey, hey, your worry is assuming that the Lord doesn't care. Your worry is assuming that you care more than him. No, 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 no. If he cares about the birds, which are his creation, how much more will he care about his children? who are image bearers of his, who are sealed by the blood of his son and indwelt by his spirit. How much more? Infinitely more. Jesus says, consider the lilies, consider these flowers. Right, if you go just around the world or if you go around the country, you have a chance to travel, you'll go to places where you think, gosh, I wonder if anybody's ever seen these kind of flowers before. I wonder if anybody's seen this. Right? There's just all these flowers, all these plants, all these places that are totally remote and yet totally spectacularly beautiful. Jesus says, listen, if God has that kind of care for this creation, how much more does he care for his children? Now, here's what's fascinating. If you look in verse 26 and in verse 28, the command there is look and consider. Now, both of these words mean more than a passing glance, right? I just imagine as Jesus is teaching on the mountain, I think there's a really good chance that a bird just flew by. And he said, hey, 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 here, look, look, look at this bird. Look at how your heavenly father cares for this bird. How much more will he care for you? But he says, look, give focus, give attention, consider, think about this. And as you think about that different perspective, you realize, you know what? My heavenly father cares. He's for me. He's with me. I am much more valuable than a bird or a flower. Now, another thing that worry assumes, and this is why this is a big deal that Jesus has to repeat himself, worry and anxiety assume not just that I care more than God, but that I'm more powerful than God. Worry assumes that I can do something about this. I can make something happen. Uh, our friend Tom Schrader, some of you know Tom, a founding pastor of Redemption Gilbert, and one of the last times he was here, he said this great line. He said, don't tell me worry doesn't work. 99% of the things I worry about never happen. 
<laughs> I mean, I love Tom. I love that, uh, the way he's joking there, and he is joking, right? The things don't happen not because we're so powerful, not because we could actually do anything about it, just because we're worried about things that we don't need to worry about. And worry says, God, I don't know if you care, and God, I don't know if you're powerful to do anything. And yet here, Jesus points out that you don't have any power. You're not more powerful than God. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Can you make yourself live longer? The message uh, translation says, which of you can make yourself taller by thinking hard and worrying about it? You can't. You can't do it. You're not more powerful than God. Your heavenly Father does care, and he is more powerful, so trust him. Third thing that worry assumes is not just that God that we care more than God or we're more powerful than God, but that we know better than God. I mean, God, I don't really like how this is playing out. I don't really like how this is happening. I don't really like that I don't know exactly what's gonna take place and how this is gonna feel and what's gonna happen. And and God, there's all these things out of my control, but I know what I ought to do and I know how it ought to work and I know how it ought to go. And God, I I really think it ought to be like this. And yet here's the thing, when we worry, we're not actually ever telling God, we're just telling ourselves. We're just talking to ourselves. We assume we know better than God. And yet Jesus says, no, you don't. You don't know better than God. And your heavenly Father loves you. He says, verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows. What might happen this week if every day you rolled out of bed and before your feet even hit the floor, you said, my heavenly father knows. He knows. He knows my pain. He knows my difficulty. He knows my disappointment. He knows my unmet expectations. He knows my grief. He knows my loss. He knows. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Your heavenly Father cares. Your heavenly Father is powerful. Your heavenly Father knows. Now, here's the thing. We are going to have things that make us feel anxious. We are going to have things that worry us, right? There's stuff that we can't control. There's stuff that comes into our lives. There's stuff that we don't expect. And there's these moments where we don't even really think about it. We just kind of react with worry. We react with fear. And I don't even know that that's possible to fully stop that. I just think that's some of being human. As unexpected things happen, you react. The question is not whether you have these immediate moments of anxiousness and worry. The question is what do we do with them? How will we handle it when we wake up in the middle of the night and we're worried and we're stressed and we're freaking out? How will we handle it? Now, the way that a lot of us handle it, the way that I was really struggling not to handle it the other day was just to worry, just to think, just to kind of chew it over. And what about this? And what about this? And I, what, I wonder if I, maybe I need to make an email. Maybe I need to make a call. Maybe, I, well, what about this? What we, right? And, and you just start to worry. Now, I came across a fantastic quote a few weeks ago and I saved it and I had this in my mind actually as I'm sitting there in the dark in the, my house as I'm worried about this as I kept thinking about this quote by Harvey Turner. Harvey says this, worry is praying to yourself. 
Worry is praying to yourself. Isn't that insightful? Worry is praying to yourself because you're talking about it and you're mulling it over and you're chewing on it and you're thinking about it and you're running through all the options, but who are you doing that to? Yourself. You're not worrying in God's direction. You're worrying in your own direction. Or maybe you might even be a person that understands the value of community. You understand the value of relationships. And after you've worried about it a lot yourself, you go, okay, I gotta call my friend. I gotta talk to my spouse. I gotta, I gotta run this by my kids. I, I gotta talk to somebody. I gotta seek a mentor. I gotta find out someone. Right? And, you, and you worry toward everyone else. And this is an invitation from your loving heavenly father to worry toward him. Worry in his direction. He's saying, I'm a big God. I'm the master of the universe. I clothe the birds and the lilies. I care about you. I'm powerful. Your heavenly father knows. So worry in my direction. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Jesus' disciple Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter heard this message. He understood it. He said, yes. And yet, I'm sure all through his life he had times where he was anxious. I'm sure all through his life things happened. He went, oh, I'm worried. I'm freaking out. And the question isn't, will you never experience that? It's how will you handle it? And the scripture invites us to cast our anxiety on him. Here's the way Jesus says it in verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Your father cares. Your father's powerful. Your father knows. Now, I came across a story just today that I thought was a fantastic picture of this. I read this on a woman's blog. She's a mother of five kids and uh, one of her sons, Calvin, has a significant uh, brain disability and is uh, in a wheelchair. And uh, they were realizing that they needed to get a van that would be able to transport him. Now, the problem with this was uh, because they have five kids, uh, most typical wheelchair accessible vans just were not big enough to be able to handle their family. So they said, we either had to get a shuttle bus, which our kids were pretty excited about, or we had to get a Ford Transit. Um, now, the challenge with the transit, apparently, and she explains this in her post, is that the transit comes with all these different roof sizes. And uh, the one that the, uh, the dealer that they had there, the one that they had had the, the smaller size, and they said, okay, that's not going to work. Um, in order to be able to get this kind of van, we're going to need one with a medium or a high size ceiling. And the dealer told him, hey, listen, uh, we don't have those. <laughs> And um, the ones that we could order for you, that we could find for you, are going to be about $10,000 more than you were planning to pay. So as you can imagine, I mean, they're discouraged. They're going, Lord, this isn't just a want. This is not, hey, we love to go on this extravagant vacation. They're going, this is a need. We've got a family with this special needs kid, and we need to take care of them. We need to be able to get our whole family in this thing. Lord, we need this. And yet they went home, and it felt like, man, does God care? Can God do anything? Does God know? Well, about an hour after they got home, the mom got a call from the guy at the dealership. You're not going to believe this, he said. We've got a truck here unloading around eight mid-roof Ford Transits, and they're all passenger vans, not cargo. 
They write, we went back, sure enough, lined up in the lot were eight of the exact vehicles we needed. Every color and option was available. But the price, that was still an impossibility. Remember, it was gonna be eight to $10,000 more. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, the salesperson said. These are actually brand new vans, but we're selling them as used. They were sitting on another lot and apparently they were damaged by a hailstorm. <laughs> so we're selling them at a much lower price. We'll take all the dents, you won't even notice. They write, so let me get that straight. An hour after we left, eight vans of the exact type we needed were dropped off unexpectedly at that exact car lot. All of them passenger vans with an extended base for a wheelchair lift. All of them happened to be in a hailstorm, which happened to reduce the price that we had planned on. It was excessive, undeserved. But then again, that's what grace always is. The salesperson said, you know that what happened is pretty crazy, right? I haven't had those things on my lot for a year and a half. Then an hour after you left, I've got eight. They write, it's not every day that God sends these tangible reminders of his care and provision, but when he does, it is a grace that gives boldness to our steps and a fresh reminder of his presence during the weary nights and lonely roads. Your father cares. Your father knows. And your father clothes the birds and he clothes the fields and he sends hail so that you can get what you need. Now, you may go, but, but what if I don't get what I need? What if the thing I'm worried about, God lets it happen? And that's a fair question. Because it doesn't always happen with that sort of a beautiful bow around it, does it? In fact, God might let the very thing you don't want to have happen, happen. He let it happen to Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he's in the garden and he's so anxious. He's saying, my soul is troubled. He's, he's feeling worry. And yet his worry is not toward himself. Instead, he directs it toward his heavenly father. He casts his anxieties on his heavenly father and he says, Father, if you're willing, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He prays it three times. And you know what the father's answer was? No. No. And Jesus went to the cross. And he experienced the cup of God's wrath. And he died for our sins, separated from his heavenly father, so that we, sinners who don't tend to trust God, could actually be brought in to God's family and call him not just our master, but our father. The cross of Jesus doesn't guarantee the absence of pain, but it does guarantee that in the midst of your pain, you have a heavenly father who will not turn away. Anxiety comes when we forget our master. Anxiety comes when we forget our father. And yet, here's how the apostle Paul describes the fatherly love of God. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God 
loves you. Your heavenly Father knows. And Jesus proved it by going to the cross so that you could call him Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word, for the opportunity, even in this kind of unusual way, to be able to preach it. God, thank you that you love us, that you're for us. God, I pray that we wouldn't get mixed up in setting our hopes on things that are just gonna fall apart and fade. God, I pray instead that we would see you as our Father who cares, that we would lean into you, that we would worry in your direction so that we could see your faithfulness, sometimes in you delivering us from the thing we're worried about and sometimes in knowing that you're with us even as we go through it. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.